Hi everyone, and welcome to the Supernatural Sunday edition. Um, it's feeling like a Supernatural Sunday because it's a beautiful, sunny, sun day. And once again, I'm on my patio. Um, I'm feeling a whole lot more relaxed about the world. I'm still somewhat in disbelief. <laughs> Uh, that I've just won a lawsuit, but uh, we're going to finalize that tomorrow, and that will give me absolute closure on that tomorrow. Um, and I'll find out if there's anything else that I need to do as well. I don't think so. I think it's all going to be just wrapped up tomorrow after my visit to the courthouse. I don't imagine it's going to be... Uh, I'm not anticipating any problems. Um, it is more complicated because there is, like... You know, in accordance with the Courts of Justice Act, you are entitled to interest, which is 2%. Um, anyway, I'll talk about all that stuff on the show today, because um, that's what it's going to be about. One of the things, uh, and I might just be talking about some uh, random ideas that I've been considering as well. Uh, I've been going over some of, you know, what's really telling for me in my microcosm that I, you know, really should share with you, and one of the reasons that I encourage people to... Uh, start a blog is or some kind of you know international publication that is your own is because uh, it gives me all these little windows into what the world is doing or what the world at least is reading regarding me you know like every day I can go to my blog and I can find out which blog posts people are reading and I can go back to them and read them myself and find out what it is that people are learning about me and that can tell me a lot. It really can, especially when they are like random posts. Um, I know the way that my blog publishes, so, um, you know, unless I bring special attention to something, it's very unusual that, that you know, a number of people would go and check out like a, an obscure blog post, if you will. So when people do something like that, it tells me something. So anyway, um, again, this is just the intro. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to be, you know, sharing some uh, more free-flowing thoughts um, rather than just uh, talking about any one particular topic today. So I think it's going to be a good one. Um, yeah, more relaxed Sunday edition, so I think that's kind of fitting too. Suits the mood. So uh, stay right there. I'll be back in a bit. Alright everyone, welcome back. Uh, yeah, um, Supernatural Sunday. So, uh, I don't know, I, I wanted to have this podcast with you today because, I don't know, it's just, uh, it's starting to feel more real. Um, starting to sink in, I think, a little bit. Um, so, you know, I've, I've gone from this state of being in shock to, and, and not believing that it can be possible, sort of, on Friday, and then confirming with the registrar that nothing has been filed by defense, and realizing that even Friday was already one day late. Like, you know, if, if they did want to file something, and they did it in the last moment, 
you know, it would probably have come earlier Friday morning or at least late on Thursday. So I did wait long enough to go down with my affidavit of service and like to know that it's already true and real. Um, now, something I think I may have said before that I stand corrected on, um, if I did say it, uh, is that I think I stated that once they're in default, um, I don't have to, like, accept any further correspondence from them or, um, you know, they've lost their opportunity to provide defense, etc. Um, that is true, but it's only true after I file or have them noted in default, which I haven't done yet. So, that's why I was kind of joking and saying, like, the only way that they can really get around this now is if they tackle me on my way to the courthouse tomorrow when I'm filing for default. Um, and I realistically don't think that's going to happen because Genevieve, the city's legal counsel, knows me well enough that, you know, all she'd have to do is send me an email and say, no, we're not in default. <laughs> if that's what she believed to be true. Um, or, you know, I'm late, or, hey, I'm sorry, I didn't know I missed the deadline. Um, if you haven't noticed us in default, can you give me a little bit more time? Like, she knows I would grant that if there's a defense coming. Um, but the fact that she hasn't contacted me in, like, two weeks alone, not about anything, like, is very unusual as well. I mean... She contacted me enough to basically get whatever information she needed to make sure that my housing wasn't going to be revoked, which was another demand, of course. But that demand wasn't even in my statement of claim. <laughs> um, you know, because it hadn't happened yet. Like, you know, but what would have happened is the threat would have then become, instead of a threat, it would have been an actual they did harm <laughs> um, instead of threat of harm which is what was in the complaint that they were threatening to cause me harm by cutting off my subsidy so they stopped the bleeding there and made sure that that was granted so now that threat has been removed um, so that was the point of that and that's why that was like integral um, and that's why I say that you know what um who is it that continually tells me that, uh, you know, it isn't, that, that courts are not the best place to go, you know, if, if you're unhappy with the services provided by government or whatever, that, you know, you should be speaking at city council or there's people that you can write letters to and yada, 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 or some of the things that Jen Viev was saying in a previous complaint, and yet... You know, one has to consider that the only people who have ever suggested that to me happen to be lawyers, okay? The only people who ever recommend that I seek legal counsel are lawyers. Not the people above them. <laughs> I've never had a justice say that I need a lawyer. I've never had the attorney general tell me they think I need a lawyer. I've never had um, the registrar general tell me that I need a lawyer and I've received letters from all of those offices and they would share the same legal duty to advise me to seek legal counsel if they felt that I was not well versed enough to handle myself 
they have an obligation as representatives of the law and the bar and all that stuff. Um, <clears throat> so that's why you see it. Like, if you're not a lawyer, I'm just telling you, like, this is also why you see that on letters. If you, if you write somebody and complain and they say, well, you know what, you should seek legal advice because blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you know, um, that's very common. And it's like, it's not meant to be an insult. Um, it's, it's like disclaiming liability. Um, you know, you, you, they have a legal obligation to let you know that before you try to make these arguments, you should probably, you know, they don't want you to be disadvantaged. So they have a legal obligation to make sure that you have fair opportunity in courts. And if they don't think you know the law, then they have a duty and a responsibility to let you know that you should seek somebody who does. Um, and so lawyers have done that. Um, you know, Genevieve has suggested a couple of times that I seek legal counsel, and I believe Ontario Works did once. Maybe not. No, I don't think Ontario Works ever has. Um, I'm pretty sure there was another organization that may have said that one time. Um, oh, it would have been with my father's estate. That's who it was. 100% it was. Um, he said that, you know, maybe I should seek legal advice. And in both cases, I responded by saying, well, I said, I find it very interesting that you suggest I seek a lawyer when I'm presenting to you legal arguments that you can't respond to. So my opinion is that you're the one who needs a lawyer because if you can't respond to them in an email, I don't think you're going to do any better in front of a justice. And that usually shuts them up. Um, it's become one of my favorite kind of slogans uh, because it is a good one to use. And it's true. If somebody can't respond to your legal arguments in a letter, they're going to stand in court as much as they're going to stand in somebody trying to, you know, gaslight you and, and presume that, oh no, that law doesn't apply because of this and this and this and this. I mean, again, don't presume that this is legal advice because I'm not saying that might not be true sometimes. Um, but, you know, I'm suggesting that if they're not providing any kind of rebuttal to legal arguments that you make, then by default they are wrong. Okay, so if they come back with a legal argument, then you have to consider which one has superior authority and, you know, especially if they're in conflict with each other. And again, I know that that's the part of the law that I know very well. Uh, and I know that rights are always superior to the codes and statutes and acts in Canada. And if you know, and again, yeah, if you know how to stand on those and, and make those arguments and where to find them within Canada's codes and statutes, that's also important. Um, then I think you've got a very good chance of being able to advocate for that reasonably easy. And that's what I kind of wanted to focus on today. Um, I told you that I'm feeling a lot more relaxed. And uh, I've also been talking about how I felt that there was a will on the part of the universe for me to start this podcast and to start talking to people about what you can do to protect your rights. And um, that is the benefit to me not being a lawyer. That's why I'm sharing this information with you, because I want you to know that as I'm doing these things... I'm not just pulling things out of the air, and I'm not going and asking somebody else for advice. I'm literally going to uh, the very same websites that are going to be applying those rules. And that's, that's the way I look at it now. 
So, okay, I understand the laws, and now what I need to learn how to work within, even if I don't agree with them, um, I have to at least comply with the rules of civil procedure enough that, you know, they understand what I'm doing. And the short and skinny that I want to focus on today is that, you know, all of the stress and anxiety aside that everybody here knows I went through that basically gave rise to this cause of action, um, and me being, feeling like I was ultimately compelled to have to file a lawsuit, um, what's kind of really remarkable for me in my mind is that it really is the only first very serious lawsuit that I have filed on my own. And, and I did believe in the other lawsuit that I was pursuing, but there was also a lot of external influence involved there. And um, too much to get into right now, but there was too much external pressure that if I didn't comply with would make my own microcosm just that much more chaotic and intense and unbearable and it was just easier to comply with a lot of things that I didn't necessarily agree with than it was to dispute them um, and that had a lot of the reason to do with my filing it in as eccentric a way as I did um, I still do assert that there's absolutely nothing wrong with a handwritten legal claim, um, and I may try and demonstrate that again, but my claim was very different um, in the sense that, uh, if you'll notice in this one, I told you that every numbered statement should be an independent single fact. Um, you shouldn't have more than one fact per statement, but you could also tell but I think it was, what did we say, 68? I think there was 68 points, maybe as many as 74, but anyway. Um, which sounds like a lot, but it only takes about five minutes to write, read through because each one is only like a sentence, um, or a couple of sentences. So, <clears throat> um, that was one of the issues that they would have had with my claim. I, I did that, but then I went into like you know, a paragraph, or in some cases, pages worth of explanation defending that point. And uh, that's not really how it's done in their process. You, you save all of your arguments supporting your points later. And so if I just basically put the titles in and not the lengthy explanation behind them, um, it may have been more successful. Uh, but anyway, I'll, I'll show a different way. But the point is... One of the reasons I did that, I was kind of consciously aware that I was making it really, really eccentric, um, because I do, in fact, believe that it shouldn't matter. Um, and the reason I fundamentally believe that is because there are people in the world who are suffering with, you know, serious mental health issues, or, you know, maybe less, like, people who aren't even necessarily mentally disadvantaged in any way, but people who are just, uh, legally disadvantaged. They don't have knowledge of the law. They've never followed a, a suit before. And, you know, 
they don't understand it properly, so they sit down and they read the rules of civil procedure, and this is what they come up with. Well, um, the reason that I attest that, or assert, that that claim is perfectly fine and should have should not have been dismissed as frivolous and vexatious anyway. Um, the primary reason for that is because if you do read the complaint, I advise the justice that the information that provides for what I'm asking of the courts to do was in fact confirmed. Like, the things I'm accusing them of, they admitted are true. The city admitted in its own investigation that, you know, things I'd complained about were in fact true, harm was in fact done, um, and all the court needs to do is look at that, you know, and suggest that, you know, and I felt that it was incorrect and unreasonable that the people who had been harmed by the city's own investigation were not entitled to any compensation for the damages. And um, so that alone is a legitimate legal argument that does have a foundation and premise in law. And any person that is subject to that, and I'm using the words person deliberately because it does apply to persons, <laughs> um, is that if any person is wronged, they can, you know, file for damages. And I want to continue to use the word person because most people are operating with that legal entity. And that also, I didn't really speak too much about the style of my filing. I just said I was like conforming with the rules of civil procedure to the best of my ability. But there are things that I did that are very subtle. Um, and they're so subtle, in fact, that the courts are never going to even notice that I'm doing them. Um, so you'll notice that I took the big red flags off of my document, meaning that I didn't put the king's thumbprint seal on anything. I'm using my signature. Uh, I might have used it on one instance on one of my documents, but I don't think I did on any of the legal documents. Um, I may have used it on the affidavit. I can't remember. But anyway, um, for the actual claim, I didn't. And uh, what I did do instead is I made sure that my name was spelled the way that it would be spelled by me in any other normal writing. So not the all-capital version, the way that we're taught to spell it in school. And I made sure that all of the named defendants on my claim were also spelled in that style. That's how you refer to it. The different capitalization of the name is referred to as the style of the name in law. That's what they call it. Um, so the style of my name expressed in capitis diminution minimus, which is the proper way we're taught in school, does give the full sovereign status in court. It is basically a man acting in his sui juris capacity. They recognize that person, and I'm telling you that from my experiences, the courts themselves recognize that person, that legal person, expressed that way, as a sui juris master. That's where the, you know, the word master comes in, and if you look up the definition, I included it on my blog the other day, but it says, someone who was of his own master, juris, uh, sui juris. And that's what sui juris means. And <clears throat> uh, sui juris means of your own law, which is the same as sovereign. So, like, you, you know the law, you're sovereign within your own rights, and, and you know, anybody harms you, you'll bring, you'll bring a suit against them. You know how to handle yourself independently in law. Sui juris, that's what it means, of your own right. Um, so... And again, this is why I'm happy that I'm having this, like, Sunday just random chat thing, because these are the sort of 
things I wanted to talk about because I have also suggested once before that when we become 18, okay, and you get that first piece of identification and you go and you get a driver's license and all that, um, the driver's license in Canada you can even get at 16, so for those purposes you would be considered an adult um, as far as any charges are concerned with driving. If you're old enough to drive, you're, you're basically accepting the liability of that person, so it starts at 16. Um, but 18 is the real age of majority in Canada, um, according to their codes and statutes, and it is presumed, and this is what people don't know, that um, it's presumed even before you get those documents, before you get the birth certificate registration, before you get the social insurance number, before you get the health card or the driver's license, it is presumed already that you have a master's degree in law. Maybe not a legal degree, but a lawful degree. You're considered to be a master. That's what master means. Sui juris, of your own right. You're supposed to know what is right and what is wrong. And technically speaking, okay, and this is what I mean when I say that the Canadian government, from an, um, an official perspective, from the superior offices, in, whoa, <laughs> how they've communicated to me, I almost dropped my coffee. Um, Oh, and I lost my train of thought because I almost dropped my coffee. Uh, it'll come back to me. Um, I was talking about the government superior officials. Uh, sui juris. I don't know. Um, the, the main point was that uh, people don't realize that... Oh, I, see, I knew it would come back to me. Um, they're holding a position of office, and we're all holding a position of office. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that idea, um, that you're being given a position of office when you turn 18, and you are presumed to be a master of that understanding. Um, you understand what the legal fiction is and whatever, so you are capable of now mastering that office, that, that new position that you've been granted. And most people don't understand it. That's the thing. They take this identification, it's not identifying you. It is identifying your position of office within the Canadian government, and that position of office is what defines your legal and lawful obligations. And that's why it's binding upon you when you go into a court of law. So, trust me, these things are very true and real. Um, and so, obviously there's nothing wrong with somebody accepting a position of office that they're being offered by somebody else. That wouldn't be a crime. You're not a slave right? You're choosing to be that. So you can give it back, though. And this is where they have a bit of problems. Um, but I kept saying I was going to get to the short and skinny, and I haven't done that yet. The short and skinny is that, you know, I went from extreme chaos to being compelled to do something I really didn't want to do against any of Canada's government officials, and filed a claim against them for $100,000 for each of the last two offenses to my name, spelled in all caps, and 21 days after doing that, the emergency is completely averted, and the claim that I filed is done. It took 21 days to win my lawsuit from the time it was filed. Now, what's interesting for me about that 
is my magic number is 37. Well, what is 21? 21 is three sevens. <sighs> See how everything just kind of lined up? And we got that news on Friday, which just happened to be the new moon. New moon in magic represents new beginnings. Um, and so the other thing that I started noticing is that um, I'm not the kind of person who, who, like I'm really not materialistic. Um, that doesn't mean that I don't like to dress nice and look nice and have nice looking apartment and whatever. Um, there are definitely some things I'm looking forward to improving about my apartment. I would love to have a nice little dining room table. Um, I'd love to have um, some proper coverings on my windows in the basement. Um, I want to get basically translucent fixtures on the windows themselves uh, so that nobody can see in. Um, because the view isn't spectacular from a basement apartment anyway. I'm just looking up to the street or the sidewalk or whatever, but they do get a considerable amount of light, and they're very, very deep. They're like probably a foot and a half or maybe two foot deep into the wall, like into the foundation. That's what I mean. It's awesome for plants. Um, and I'd like to get basically like canopy, super, super energy-efficient canopy um, hood lamps over each of the windows as well so that I can supplement in the winter. I can have it on a timer so that, you know, and then I can maybe even, if I want, put a curtain in front of the plants <laughs> uh, because that's how deep the window is and the light so that, you know, I could open up the shades in the morning to let the natural light, like in the winter, to have simulated, you know, summertime or whatever, or longer hours or whatever. <laughs> um, I can close, I can still have the lights on for my plants and have darkness in my room kind of thing. Um, that's what I'm getting at. Uh, and, like, I also, because Gigi has been, like, I'm telling you, this cat is, like, uh, I swear I'm telepathic, or she is, or we are, um, because I'm used to cats being able to understand my commands, but it's always, like, I'm, you know, I use the same kind of phrases for the same kind of things, like, here, come, or you know, let's go, <laughs> hurry up, um, you know, basic, basic stuff, but, like, she understands complex stuff, um, you know, I may have told this story once before, but I walked her around my apartment when we first moved in, because she has a tendency to knock over plants and things that I put in windows, and it really, like, she does it on purpose, she does it on purpose when I'm not home. She can't get away with it when I'm at home because I'll see her do it. But she thinks that she can magically knock over a plant when I'm away. And if she's just, like, not near it when I come home, then I'm just going to think that it magically fell over on its own. <laughs> it's funny, though, because they are like kids in some ways. Because it's like, I'll look at the plant, you know, on the ground. And she's, like, trying to look all innocent, you know, like, sleeping or whatever on whatever. And I'll just be like, uh, excuse me, what's this? And her eyes will open, she'll look at me, and I'll look at the plant, and I'll be pointing at it, and she'll run right under the bed, like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Can't hide guilt from a cat, they know. Um, but anyway, uh, she's just been amazing, so what I want to do is I want to, like, get um, dividers in my windows, in one of my windows, anyway, because I told her that she could have half of my bedroom window, well, she gets to have the bedroom window right now, because I don't have it set up. Um, so the bedroom window is entirely hers right now, the living room window is entirely mine, and we share the kitchen window, um, but what I want to do is, uh, I'd like to have plants in both 
my bath, my bedroom and my living room. And so what I'd like to do is give her half of each of those windows. And uh, I'm going to put an actual divider, like, you know, just plexiglass or something. It won't be attached to my home in any way, but I'll just get some kind of plexiglass divider that I can put in the window um, that allows me to have plants on one side and her on the other. And uh, she, like... She's so smart. She understands She understands without a divider, but I just want to, like, make it more so. Like, she hasn't knocked over a single plant in the kitchen, and that's a thin windowsill. That's a normal one. Um, and I've got, like, half of it filled with plants, and she hasn't touched a single plant. She hasn't tried to knock them over. As long as she's got a little space there so that she can look out the window, she's happy. Um, and we made that arrangement on the first day. She's never broken it since. Uh, today she was, like, going to go into the neighbor's yard, through like a hole that their dog is trying to kind of do dig under the fence and I'm not sure how she's getting along with the dog over there she's not scared of dogs <laughs> um, and she's like I don't know I have a feeling she could probably handle the dog it's a golden retriever it's big enough to do her harm but I think she'd have her claws out before it even knew what was going on and probably I don't know I watched my cat fight off a rottweiler once they're far more vicious than you think anyway um, <laughs> point is it's the dogs like you know he's he he sees that as like so I don't want her she's more than capable of going over the fence and uh, so I don't want her using that hole because I don't want him like stalking her on the other side and like you know biting her in half while she goes through um, and that's not her, that's not her property it's not her territory so she has to be respectful so I don't want her scent encouraging the dog at that hole and so as she was like you know making like she was going to crawl through and go to the neighbors that way I just said Gigi what are you doing and she turns and she looks at me and I'm like no and you know she tests me for a little while like she'll hold my gaze for a little while like what you know what's wrong with this and then she goes back and this time I snap my finger and she turns back again and I'm just like no I actually did have to stand up before she took me seriously, but as soon as I stood up, she wandered off. And I just said, that's the dogs, you don't go there. And she knew what I was saying, she just didn't want to listen. Um, so, anyway. Uh, <clears throat> one of the other things I really wanted to talk about is that uh, inherent jurisdiction. Um, and I said once in one of my court hearings that uh, I was going to be, when they asked me to plead, I told the court, because a pleading is, is an admission of guilt, okay, only guilty parties plead. So it doesn't matter if you say you're not guilty or guilty, they, you're presumed guilty, you're pleading. Um, so I ended up telling the justice that uh, I'm actually not entering a plea today, Your Honor, I'm placing this court on notice of motion of counterclaim. <laughs> and I'm telling you, like, you know, people who don't think I know what I'm doing, you would have known I knew what I was doing that day, because you can tell by the way the people at the courtroom react. There was just silence for a second, you know, and you could feel it, like you could cut that tension with a knife. And the justice's response was even more telling because she wasn't surprised at, at all, it seemed. 
she knew exactly what I was doing and was very kind of coy, I would say, about the entire thing. I said, oh, well, that's interesting. She said, can you do that in this court? Now, there's another tell, and I'm telling you, they're very, very subtle when they're being diplomatic about giving an individual some freedom in the court. And that's how you go about being respectful. Like, this justice was being exceedingly honorable. I don't know, can you do that in this court? There's a lot of justices who might try to say that I can't do it in that court. Um, to which I would reply, well, I was under the impression that we are in a common law court. <laughs> and um, she says to me, oh, well, uh, yeah, she said, uh, can you do that in this court? Wouldn't you need a civil court for that? Uh, so it wasn't quite as short as that. It was, uh, don't you need a civil court for that? And I said, well, I was under the impression that all of these courts are common law courts. And so uh, I believe I should be able to make that claim here. And she said, well, you know, I, the, the common law is a very elusive jurisdiction of law. And I basically just said, well, not to me, it's not. And, uh, you know, I've already given the notice now, because that's how you do it. You have to give notice of motion of counterclaim. And then I said, so I said, yeah, it's not confusing to me, Your Honor. So I've already given the notice. I am now, you know, presenting the motion of counterclaim uh, that Constable Jenkins did trespass upon my common law rights or did uh, unlawfully arrest me and caused harm by the loss of my common law rights or something to that effect. Um, and uh, again, you know, some people would say that uh, it was not effective because an actual cross-claim didn't happen, which is what that would be called. Um, but if, if we were in a civil court, like, you would have the right to do that. You know, hey, this person did this, it's a criminal offense. You would be able to say, no, 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 that's not true. I'm, I, they did this to me, and they're just trying to accuse me of the harm that happened to them or something. You know, you should be able to cross-claim in a criminal court. They've got it set up differently so that you can't. Um, but as far as I'm concerned, any trespass upon a common law right that's causing harm to a man is a criminal offense. It's just not codified as a criminal offense in law. And so those criminal offenses need to be taken into the superior court, and you need to basically hold them accountable yourself. That's what it comes down to, and that's what those courts are for. And so what I was going to talk about today is the inherent jurisdiction. And it's one of those words, I think, inherent, where people don't really understand it. Inherent, um, when you're talking about a right, well, an inherent right, and this is why God is such an important part or element to law. It's an important element of law because basically God is presumed to be the moral compass of man. God is the reason for doing good or bad. You know, on, on the most primary foundation, that's what I'm going to say the function of that is in law. Um, and that's all I'm speaking to right now, you know, without complicating any branches of Christianity or anything else, or, you know, Islam, Muslim, whatever, Buddha, doesn't matter. The concept of God is the concept of morality, and that's the fundamental principle or function of that um, in law. 
So inherent rights can only be given by the creator. So God, whatever it is that you... So your inherent rights come from God. That means that the inherent authority of a court, where is that going to come from? God. So when you read that a court has been granted inherent jurisdiction, what that means, and these are one of the reflections that I've been having, is that when I go into that court, I inherit the jurisdiction. It inherits me. <laughs> I'm the inheritor. So, <coughs> the king is what gives authority to the court. There has to be a crown. And so, when I go in there, as King Sean, House of Anden, whatever, I'm inheriting the jurisdiction of the court. And that court has the inherent jurisdiction to hear the king's complaints. You see? And I wish I could prove all of these things to you, um, because my anticipation is that, again, they're never going to like acknowledge that openly in a court of law. But the way that I anticipate things are going to go, and only because my fundamental belief is when it comes down to being in a courtroom, who is more likely to be thrown under the bus if it's going to look bad to the public? The lawyer that I'm standing against or the justice who's like allowing it to happen? Right? If I go in and all of my legal arguments are, are good and they don't have a defense, the justice isn't going to just like discredit everything I say because they don't like that I'm calling myself a king. They're going to take, you know, it's going to give weight to that argument, in fact. And, you know, I'll be honest with you, I think the justices find it just as humorous as anybody else does. And I think they, like, at least the ones that I met, Perkins McVeigh, I think, for sure, I believe she completely understands um, you know, why I'm doing it, um, because the fact of the matter is, people, so far, I have not been able to find a lawyer or a justice or anybody that can provide any reasonable legal argument to any of the statements that I make, and I'm using laws that actually exist in Canada, so, you know, um, <laughs> I think if they did have any legal arguments to make, we would have heard them already, and they'd be asking me to take down some of the notices that are on the public record. So, yeah. The significance of all of this, and what I was telling you about my microcosm, is that, um, and one of the reasons that I'm starting to feel a little bit more relaxed and believe it might be true, is because I've started visualizing, you know, those changes that I was telling you about my apartment. I was starting to visualize, you know, getting a couple of gallons of paint for the walls that I haven't started portraits on yet. Um, you know, just to add some color to my apartment. Uh, you know, getting a proper dresser, maybe. Uh, getting some clothes. I have not been clothes shopping in, oh my god, three years, maybe. And don't get me wrong, I've got clothes, but I mean, they're starting to look like they might be three years old. Um, so, I'm looking forward to getting 
some new clothes, and I'll tell you right now, I'm gonna go and I, I'll be shopping at Guess, because that's where I like to shop, and their clothes fit me perfect, and I just like the style of a lot of their stuff, too, so, um, if you want to know what kind of, like, how I dress, basically, just <laughs> look at, look at Guess, and you got a pretty good idea, because if I had the freedom to, and the wealth to, I would probably wear Guess everything, because... I don't know. It's reasonably priced. Like, their their new jeans are very, very expensive. But every time I go to Guess, and I'm just telling you for anybody who wants to shop there, ask. I used to know the staff really well in Guelph because I used to shop there quite a bit. And, um, you know, like, they're so good. Like, I'd walk in, and they would always take me to the jean section. They, were, they knew I was, like, 90% of the time I'd go there for jeans. And I always wanted to see... Like, I would go every new season to find out which <laughs> which jeans had just been put into the this, you know, clearance section from last season. And because once they move there, they go cheap, like less than 50%. Like, I usually pay no more than 40 to $60 for my jeans, and I wear all designer jeans. Like, yes, they're normally 120 or 130 bucks if you buy them, like, when they come out. <laughs> but I never do. I never pay the actual, like, yeah. Um... Not that I might not consider doing that this time, but I'll tell you right now, I'm going to have seven pairs of jeans, one for every day of the week. Not necessarily one assigned to every day of the week, but just, you know, um, you know, jeans are one of those things I figure you can wear several times, too, so, um, but I just like to have, you know, just different looks, make me feel like a new man every day, um, so, and seven really is not that extravagant when we're talking about $211,000. So, uh, but yeah, that's how modest my wants are, but that's, those are the kind of things I'm looking forward to, and as I mentioned, it's, you know, it's not going to be enough for me to get a Porsche, <laughs> uh, but, <sighs> I don't know, I was thinking maybe I could lease one <laughs> for a weekend or something, uh, I don't know, I might look into that just for fun, um, but, you know, there wouldn't be anything from stopping me from getting, like, a really, really, really low-end, cheap, maybe even electric car, you know, just to make people happy. Um, because, like, really, that's kind of what I would want. Um, anyway, like, I don't know, maybe not an electric car, but something that's reasonably efficient. I don't know, I could have, like, a, uh, I don't know, maybe get, like, a modest little Honda or something. But, yeah. My goal would be to be, like, spend less than 10 grand. Um, maybe up to 20. But, yeah. Um, until I'm, like... Until there's, like, millions or I'm disposing of my own natural wealth. I'm going to put the Porsche on hold. But it would be nice to have a vehicle to be able to go up to my father's place and visit and to go and visit my family in Guelph once in a while. Um, my mom, I'm sure, would love to see me. So I'd love to see her. So that would be something um, I would consider. And, yeah, the irony for me and the reason that I'm, you know, so happy to have this podcast today is because, generally speaking, um, I'm enough in harmony with the universe that, like, I wouldn't even be having those thoughts if it wasn't real. <laughs> you know? And I didn't really start having those thoughts until just, like, last night, you know, today a little bit. You know, I'm like, oh, okay, 
what could I, you know, it started feeling like it's actually real already. Like, you know, now I just have to wait until the money is in my hands, but it's probably going to be soon. And that's like mind blowing. <laughs> it really is. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know how do people feel when they win the lottery? Because that's kind of what it feels like. Um, and, you know, I really want to draw attention to that as well. Because, you know, more than one time, for sure, in fact, continuously, I was telling you that this situation that I just basically managed to save my ass from, um, you know, it was a perfect intro to this podcast because it is a very real life situation and... I mean, I think it's pretty clear that they were not, you know, they were not being very cooperative with me. They, I 100% believe, if I hadn't taken any action at all, that they would have been more than happy to just gaslight me right out of a subsidy. You know, if I'd never contacted my landlord or the ombudsman especially, um, yeah, maybe not even especially. Like, I, I don't know which of those two had an influence, if any. Still haven't heard back from the ombudsman. And, um, you know, what I'm starting to realize now is that as time goes on and as these service representatives in the lower offices like Housing Services and Ontario Works, <clears throat> I really genuinely do believe that they are beginning to not only understand that the position is real, but what the implications of that are for them as service representatives who are trespassing upon me. It's one thing to find out that I'm a king and that that title actually means something. It's entirely another to consider what that title actually means. And I said before once, um, you know, one of the best ways to think about it, if you're asking yourself if you, you know, if you want to know if you're being proper in the way you govern yourself with another individual, a really good way to think about it, whether, regardless what your opinion of this individual might be, would it be considered appropriate social custom for you to treat the individual the way that you are if that individual were the Queen of England, Her Majesty herself? If the answer is no, then you're trespassing on someone, basically. <laughs> I mean, you have the right to demand all of the same things that Her Majesty demands, you know? And one of those things might be you're not allowed to, you know, come within, you know, two feet of Her Majesty's body or something. Like, I think there are rules like that. You're not allowed to touch her. Um, I know that and learned that because uh, I guess one of the Governor Generals of Canada over the last four years, no, the one before Julie Payette, I believe, um, grabbed her elbow and hand to escort her down the stairs. And everybody was kind of ooing and aahing that that was, like, inappropriate and he should never have, have done that. He should never have touched the Queen without asking her permission. Um, but, you know, 
the commentator said, and I would assert, that if Her Majesty had had any issues with it, she would have just, you know, she just would have waved him away, or, you know, given some kind of eyeball to one of her Secret Service agents or whatever. No, she, like, he offered his hand, kind of. He doesn't do it, he does it very subtly. He just does, it does appear as though he's just grabbing her elbow, but he's doing it so gently. He's, he's basically just letting her know that he's right there. He's not, like, he's barely touching her. So, I think what he did was proper. But anyway, the whole point of that is that um, the only reason that those rules exist is because she insists on them. <laughs> you can make the same insistent rules upon yourself if you want, you know? Um, and, you know, people might think that sounds funny, but that's exactly what I'm doing in little ways. There are people who would think it might be frivolous for me to complain about my name being expressed in all capital letters, but there's nothing frivolous about it when I've given the Government of Canada notice for over four years that they are no longer allowed to do that in association with me. They want to use it for their own private purposes or whatever because they say it has nothing to do with me? Okay, fine. I'm not happy with that. But as long as you're not suggesting it has anything to do with me as the individual, if you, you know, because that's just it. A lot of people want to confuse it with me because it looks so similar. So that's where my legal basis is for having a complaint with the government because anytime I'm harmed now by that name that they're using allegedly privately, well, I'm entitled to liability for every misappropriate use of that name. So, um, anyway, going over some of my documents and some of the things that my audience has been reading on my blog, you know, it's almost enlightening even for me because everything I'm saying is 100% true. Like, uh, what was one of the ones I was reading today? Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, um, it's the original response from Sean Kearney. I'm telling people what he should have done and, and how he's criminally negligent for not closing the accounts and whatever. And, uh, you know, the longer these things go on, the worse that crime becomes for him as an individual because he's technically liable because he's the one responding from that office. So... Um, I could hold him personally liable. And now that people are seeing that my putting the names on that document and holding those individuals accountable, that is legally binding. And my belief is that these courts of inherent jurisdiction, if I'm bringing someone into court of inherent jurisdiction and charging them of trespasses upon my inherent rights as a king, those are very serious criminal offenses. And that is why, and I made note of that in my claim, you can read it, it says, uh, it says, um, trespassing upon a man, upon a king in a, common, in a constitutional democratic monarchy is an act of high treason. And then I go on to say, yeah, that's what it is, it's, uh, a man who has sworn allegiance to God is acting in a position of king for his office and a trespass upon a king in a constitutional democratic monarchy is an act of high treason. So, they obviously wanted to have their names removed from that claim because if they were aiding and abetting any of those crimes, think about how serious that is. And I don't believe, this is the other point of significance, uh, is that I don't believe that 
a justice would be able to ignore those as criminal offenses. I believe that he would be obliged to um, bring criminal charges against the offending parties as well as the damages I was asking for. That's what I believe. And I believe that the lawyer may have known that, and that's why she said, you know, like, <laughs> maybe she suggested to just pay. And maybe they said no, because they don't want to be implicated with that. Well, so, you know, basically, paying would be an admission of guilt. They're going to be compelled to pay. It's no different, really. It's, it's exactly the same, because they're not contesting any of my facts. So it's an admission of guilt still, but it's, it's not a voluntary admission of guilt. Um, so it's not a show of remorse, if you will. Um, you know, the reason that they allow you to dismiss the claim if they pay the full amount before um, they file a statement of defense, if they pay you right away within the first 20 days, then the claim is dismissed, it's considered settled. Um, <clears throat> and so, the same thing would apply though, like, they would be asserting that all of it's true, um, can I use that now as an affidavit of the facts to hold them criminally liable? Probably. That's, you see, that's the kicker. You know, and all of these things have just been like revelations that have been coming to me because I didn't entertain the idea as to why it might be an advantageous strategy for them to go into default, but allowing it to go into default makes it look like it might have just been a mistake um, and that they didn't file a defense in time um, rather than an outright admission of wrongdoing, which is what would be implied by paying the amount. Um, it doesn't actually change the outcome of what is determined, but it may, like, considering I'm publishing everything on the public record, for the public opinion, you know, it allows you, my listeners, to wonder, you know, did they just miss a date? Or was this their strategy was just to pay so that none of these people have to answer to any of these charges in court? Um, because, yeah, it may not even have helped to change the named defendants to, you know, the city of Ottawa or named defendant one, named defendant two, and named defendant three, or however would be that I would express that in the claim without actually naming them. Um, if we were to have like in-depth arguments or, or discussion about what was taking place back and forth, and it was determined that that was criminal activity and that that shouldn't have happened. Um, my belief is that the justice would actually tell defense that he wants those names disclosed. He wants to know who was responsible. So, <laughs> and I think, <clears throat> I think that may even have been because I told uh, the court in my letter that I had offered to remove the named defendants from the claim in exchange for not filing as frivolous and vexatious. I did that, one, because, yes, I, I felt it might reflect favorably on my character, um, but the secondary reason for doing it is because it occurred to me, under the magic of the full moon that night, that it was also an admission of guilt. It was a pleading. 
That's what it was. It was a pleading to me, the king, pleading to the king to offer immunity to her clients. That's a huge request. That's like huge. And if you know, if you know the language of lawyers, okay, um, typically they would never they would never want to voluntarily um, give that much weight to an argument to a client, to their adversary. Okay, because basically that's just telling the court that there's something bad going on here. Okay, they all want to be removed from the claim because it's embarrassing and it's shameful and they have every right to wish to be removed from the claim. So, I'm going to speak to that and I may, uh, I may shame them online and just say, you know what, uh, they should be ashamed, they should be not wanting to have their names associated with this, but their names are associated with this because these are the individuals who caused the harm to me and they are the reason that I'm now receiving $211 of taxpayer money for their negligence. And I don't mind expressing it to people that way because, you know what, as long as they're trespassing upon my right to freely dispose of my natural wealth, then, you know what, I guess I'm going to have to keep suing people for money. I guess this is going to be how I make my money, right? Um, and that's the other thing that I'm a little bit hesitant on still. It's a little bit tricky for me to believe. But I'm not kidding you. My intuition tells me that that's what Canada is trying to subtly tell me from the very first letter they gave me. Is that because this is not a properly issued claim or application, my intent is to take no response, no action in response to it. And I mentioned that it sounds like an invitation into court. I'm like, they really want me to go in and ask them for $11 million? In code, he's basically telling me that's the only way you're going to get anything is if you actually bring us into court. You know, And that's why I think it's significant that Genevieve was uh, trying to... Um, sorry, I just got the red warning for my call, so this is going to be the end of it. But uh, And maybe I've lost my train of thought because of that, too. Um, I've got like five minutes, so it's not like super, super urgent, but, uh, yeah, I did lose my train of thought. So, oh, just that, um, yeah, you know, like, uh, maybe this is really what the government of Canada has been expecting me to do for four years, and, uh, and that the only reason that they, you know, chose to go frivolous and vexatious with the Salvation Army was to let me know that... You know, the Salvation Army is off limits. Uh, go after the city if you want to go, and public servants if you want to, but, you know, the Salvation Army is off limits. They're a charitable, godly organization, and I believe that uh, the powers that be might have a hand in that. Um, I believe it was actually instituted by secret societies. I'm not 100%, but I, I've got a very strong feeling that that is the case, that I recall that somewhere from my research over the years, but I could be wrong. I could be thinking of the Shriners. Anyway, um, I hope you're all having a wonderful Sunday. Thank you so much for like being here with me through this. And uh, something else I might as well let you all know is like I'm going to be that much more willing to try and help people uh, provide remedy for themselves in the commercial fiction. Uh, so if there is 
things that you're struggling with, um, you know, please don't be afraid to reach out to me and, uh, you know, ask me if I can offer you some counsel. I'm not going to write documents for you, but I can at least, uh, you know, help you uh, find some foundation for your arguments and tell you maybe which offices need to be written and how to proceed or whatever. I don't know. I'll, I'll offer anything I can. So, um, I feel like I've been enriched by this experience somewhat. Um, and again, yeah, the emphasis really is just that, you know, as much as we've been talking about how complicated all of this, these court processes are, the reality is, from start to finish, it only took 21 days, and it'll be 24 if we include the weekend and tomorrow. So, you know, that's pretty good. That's, that's not bad at all. <laughs> if everything goes that way for me in courts in Canada, uh, because they don't want to have to argue any of my legal points, that would be just fine with me. So, anyway... Thanks all for being here. Love you. Have a great day. All right, ladies and gentlemen, so that's my show for today. Uh, thank you for joining me this Sunday afternoon. It's early evening now for me, um, but I'll try and get this uh, up and posted as quickly as possible so I'm not as far behind on my podcasts. That's because I've been enjoying this time as well. Uh, so thank you again and uh, yeah tomorrow everything should be wrapped up so you can be guaranteed I will be back for a magical Monday motivation edition and I will be very motivated this Sean will be very motivated tomorrow um, and uh, yeah I just I just in fact read over the uh, request for default judgment and yeah that's it it's done after tomorrow uh, so um, I don't know how long it takes them to pay, but, yeah, like I said, people tell me the city's pretty quick because interest accumulates on that amount until they do, and they just generally don't like to be in bad favor with the courts, so when the courts order them to do something, they do it. Um, so, yeah, more on that tomorrow. Thanks again for being here. Uh, love you all. Ciao for now.